Amen. You should know that um, when, when, when we have these times when people come forward and confess, it is not that we are forcing people to do this. This is not some form of church punishment or something like that. That, that, that these are folks that, that want to come and they want to get this out of the way and they want to move on and they want to be restored. And, and, and that's, the, that's the most important thing here is restoration and the most important thing here is that we recognize that we as a community of faith need one another. And that's what this message is about today. You know, there's a lot of people that don't have this. They don't have a community of faith like this. They don't have family that they can turn to when things are hard and, uh, and when they need support. I heard a, a story a little while ago about a man by the name of James Lee. James Lee called a uh, Chicago newspaper. He said that he was in a local tavern, that he had a gun, and that he was about to kill himself. He told the newspaper reporter that he spoke with that he had sent them a manila envelope, and all the details were in that envelope. And could he please publish the story afterwards? The newspaper reporter, as soon as the phone was hung up, immediately called the police. They tried to tried to trace the call, but by the time the police arrived at the tavern, it was too late. James Lee had already shot himself, and he was already dead. They only found one thing on him. It was in his coat pocket. There was a crayon picture by a girl called Shirley, who was his daughter. You see, James Lee had been married. He'd been very, very happily married, but his wife had died very tragically in a car accident. And then just a few years later, his daughter Shirley, his only daughter, had been killed in a fire. James Lee explained in the paper that he had sent to the paper that there was no one left. When Shirley had died, there was no one who was even around to attend the funeral. He had to ask complete strangers on the street if they would come and attend his daughter's funeral because... He had no one. And he said it was just better to die than to go on living in that kind of loneliness. You know, there are a lot of people like James Lee in the world today. There are a lot of people out there that are lonely. Mother Teresa once said this, The biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, of being deserted and alone. And that's true. The greatest disease of the world today is loneliness. People don't walk around with big signs on them saying, I'm lonely, please help me. But if we could truly look into people's hearts, if we could truly see into people's souls, we would see the loneliness that is all around us. In the world today. Today we are starting a series on community. For the next six weeks we are looking at the topic of community. And specifically we are looking as we are seeking to start a small group ministry within this church. Of going back and asking the question. What does the Bible say about community? Why are we thinking about small groups? What is it about them that is something that, that, that we should be doing? There's lots of things we could do as a church. There's lots of different ministries. There's lots of different areas we could be involved in. What's so crucial about small groups? And I hope over the next six weeks we can answer that question adequately. You know, I need to say up front that North Americans love independence. 
I mean, we idolize independence. In America, they have the Declaration of Independence, and that's such a big thing for them. They have songs like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. I didn't have to rely on this person. I didn't have to do anything else. I did it my way. I did what I wanted, when I wanted to do it, how I wanted to do it. We have heroes like the Lone Ranger riding out onto the plane. But yeah, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, you may say. But I mean, there's this, there's this myth, there's this cultural myth that the key to happiness in life is independence. If I can only have relational independence, I don't need anyone. If I can only have financial independence, I have everything that I want. If I can only have independence in every area of my life, I will be happy. And that is a myth. Because we see in North America that suicide rates are skyrocketing. And the reason that suicide rates are skyrocketing is because we have lost the sense of community. We have lost the meaning of the word fellowship. Of what it means to be family. The cure is not independence. The cure is not codependence, which is also not a good thing. The cure is in interdependence. Interdependence means that as I depend upon you, you depend upon me. And in depending upon one another, there's wholeness. I want us to look in our Bibles this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Just this one verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says this. So in Christ... We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. That means that you belong to the person sitting beside you, and they belong to you, and the person across the room. That everybody here belongs to everybody else. We're all connected. We're all part of a body. That's what being part of a body means, right? That we're all connected. That the toe is connected to the head, which is connected to the ear, which is connected to the spleen somehow. I mean, it's all connected. It's all part of the same body. We need each other. Community is not optional. You may not feel like you need people. You may not think that you need people, but the reality is that you do. When God created you, he created you to be in community. I mean, think about this. God created Adam. He was in a garden. He was in a perfect place. It was perfect in every single way except one, that he was lonely. And God despises loneliness. Even God Himself lives in Trinity. Since the creation of anything that was before creation, from the infinite past to the infinite future, God Himself has always existed in community. And He created us to exist in community as well. He created us to be part of something that was greater than ourselves. To be interdependent upon other people. Why do you need people? Why do you need community? I want to give you five reasons today why you need community. And I'm going to take them the next five weeks to look at each one of these things in much greater detail. But number one, why do you need people? You need others to walk with you. You need others to walk with you. 
The Bible says that life is a journey, that we are on a journey. It says that in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, that you began the race here, that you are ending the race there, that all of us in some way are on a journey. We're moving. We're going somewhere. And the question is, are you going to go there alone or are you going to go there in community? And now let me say something right off the top so you don't misunderstand this. When I'm talking about community, I'm not talking just about marriage. Some of you are saying, well, yes, I'm walking through life with someone. But you see, marriage isn't what we're talking about. Marriage is a nice thing. Marriage is great. But I know single people that have much more fulfilling interpersonal relationships than married people who are going through life desperately lonely. It isn't about marriage. Marriage isn't necessarily the key to ending loneliness. Community is. It's community. Who are you walking through life with? Who are you investing your life in? And who is investing their life in you? Now, I know what someone's thinking right now. They're thinking, well, walking through life, I kind of like walking alone. I mean, when you walk alone, you don't have to care about anybody else. You can go at your own pace and walking by yourself. I'm not saying that you can't have solitude. I'm not saying that you can't go on prayer walks and things like that together. Why do we need people to walk with us through life? Well, let me give you three good reasons why we need people to walk with us through life. Number one, walking through life with another person is safer. It's safer. I mean, have you ever been in a place where you were kind of afraid because you were walking in a place where maybe it wasn't all that safe? I remember Naomi and I were in Muscat, Oman, and we were kind of doing the touristy thing, and we were over in an area of town that we didn't know, and the sun had gone down, and it was dark, and we were trying to get back to the ship, and we were in this area that was really not a very nice place to be. But were we worried? No, because we were with a group. There was a group of us there, so we knew that, I mean, if someone was going to mug us, they would have to mug, like, all of us. And it was all right, because we were walking through, and we're with a group, we're safe. I would have been terrified to have gone through that place alone. It would have been dumb. It would have been unsafe. It's just safer to walk through life in fellowship, in community, than it is to walk through life alone. It's safer. Number two, it's supportive. What do I mean by supportive? What I mean by that is that when you walk through life with someone, they can encourage you. They walk with you. You you have fellowship along the way. And because you have fellowship along the way, you're not going to give up quite so easily. There's an old Zambian proverb that says this, When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. And that's true. That when we walk through life with other people, we, we're encouraged by them. This is the, like the home team advantage. When a sports team goes to a different city and all the people are booing them and they don't want them to win, they don't perform necessarily as well than when they're at home and they're, they're in front of a, a crowd that's cheering them on and rooting for them. We need people who are going to root for us, to cheer for us. Life is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's years and years and years and years. 
Canadian geese are able to fly great distances. I mean, think about how far a, a, a goose, a Canadian goose, will fly this fall. They go from all the way from northern Canada all the way down into the south. That's a huge distance. Even driving that in a car, it's a long way. How are they able to do it? Well, notice, Canadian geese never, ever fly alone. Have you ever noticed that? They never try to do that migration by themselves. They'll always do it in a group. They get together in these fields, and they find these groups, and once a group is big enough, they set off. And you'll notice they always fly in a V. It's not like 20 geese, one here, one here, one here, one here. They're flying in a V. Why? Because the goose that's at the front is taking the brunt of the wind. The goose that's at the front is out there and it's flapping its wings. And all the other geese get in behind the slipstream of that goose. And they're following it like a race car driver. You get in behind the car in front of you, you use less gasoline. And actually the geese don't have to expend as much energy following each other in a V than they do when they fly individually. But you know what? That goose who's leading the way, that goose gets tired. It's up there and it's taking the brunt of the wind resistance and all the other geese are kind of in behind it and it gets tired. What happens when it stops flying as fast? Suddenly you hear honk, 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 honk and oh, it starts flying again and it, and it speeds up again. The encouragement of the geese that are behind it. Come on, go, let's go. You can do it, speed up. And what happens when that goose is worn out? When it says, man, I'm tired of leading. You watch them. That goose just drops back and another goose takes the lead. They share the burden. And it's because of that that they're able to fly these great distances. They're able to go farther as a group than they are individually. It's safer. It's supportive. And lastly, it's smarter. You learn more walking through life with another person than you do going through life alone. Proverbs 28:26 says, He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Proverbs 11, verse 14, Where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. One of the things that you learn when you walk with another person is you learn to check your steps with theirs because everyone walks at a different pace. I love watching some Mennonites because Mennonites are good at this. The, 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 the man is out there in front and the woman is in the back, you know, coming up, you know, like this. And the guy, I mean, the guy is like, I mean, if he didn't look back occasionally, he could be in a different county, you know, it seems like. This is I don't know why Mennonite women don't just give him a kick in the pants as he's out there in the front. I, get back here beside me. You see, when I walk with Naomi, and sometimes I, I become very Mennonite in that way, but, you know, I try really hard to walk beside her and, and, and not in front of her. And when I do that, I have to check my steps because, you see, I got these really long legs, right? And she has these little short legs. And she's like this, and I'm like this. So I kind of have to take a step and then wait and take a step and then wait, you know. But what I'm saying is I have to check my step by her step. And you know what? That's a good thing. That's a good thing to do that in life. To learn to check your step to the step of the person beside you. It's smarter. You learn from that. 
God hates loneliness, as I already said. You know what God's cure for loneliness is? God has given you two groups of people. He's given you your physical family, which you didn't choose. Sorry. You were born to the family you were born to. Whether you like it or not, you can look around and wish you were born to that family or that family, but you weren't. You were born to the family that you were born to. He's given you your physical family, and he's given you your spiritual family. And your spiritual family, you do choose. These two things. You know, I've, I've heard people say in this church, well, you know, why do we need small groups when I'm getting together with family gatherings anyways once a week? Well, let me ask you a question. What happens in that family gathering? When you get together as a family, do you intentionally put into that discipleship where people are learning from one another and where the Bible is being read and you're going through maybe a a, a lesson together or a video series together and you're taking notes and you're kind of encouraging each other spiritually? When you have a family gathering, is it a place of evangelism? Everyone in the family kind of look for a non-Christian that they can bring to that gathering so that they can introduce that person to Christ and help that person to be discipled. Is that happening? Is there intentionality about it? Or are you getting together eating hamburgers and chewing the fat? You see, there has to be intentionality. That's the good thing about small groups. A person can come to church on a Sunday morning and they can still feel lonely. A person can walk in this church, kind of slip by the ushers, have a seat, go through the service, get up, leave the church before the end of the service and still feel utterly lonely. You see, community in a spiritual family cannot happen in this room. Oh, to some extent it can. Hi, how you doing? How's the weather? This and that. Good fishing on the weekend. You know, this. we can toss back stories and we can say things like that. And that's nice. But that is not community. You know what community is? 1 Corinthians 14.26 from the message gives a really good definition of it. He says, when you gather together, one of you should be prepared with something useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. Take your turn with one person taking over. That way you will learn from each other. Does that sound like Sunday morning? You say, no, that doesn't sound like Sunday morning at all. Everybody bringing a scripture. Okay, who's next to come up here with a testimony? Who's next? You know, because we're such a large church, we can't do that. But you see, the early church also couldn't do that. And so it says that when the early church met, it met in the temple courts, which is this. This is the temple courts. And it says house to house. That it met in the big group for encouragement and support and worship. But then it also met in the small group to do the kind of stuff we're talking about. You see, you can get lost in a building with 400 people in it. But you cannot get lost in a group of 10. There is no accountability in a group this size. Someone cannot show up for one week, two weeks, three weeks, and everyone's thinking, oh, I wonder where so-and-so is. Oh, they must be going to the first service. Oh, maybe they're, they're, they're doing this. You know, they can drop out. But not in a group of ten. You don't show up. Guess what? You're missed.
We need people to walk with us, number one. Number two, we need people to work with us. Why do we need people to walk with us, to, to be with us through life? We need people to work with us. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Every person here, you've heard me say this before, has an ability, has a skill, has something that God has given you to benefit the whole. Everybody has something. And when everyone shares what they have, everything gets done. We are all called to minister, not just the pastor, we're all pastors. We're all called to minister to each other. That's God's ideal. And you know what? When you work with another person, your work is multiplied. This is called synergy. What does synergy mean? Synergy means that when two people get together, they can do more than two people alone. Okay? So it's not one plus one equals two. It's one and one equals three. Which you say, that doesn't make sense in math. But you see, it's not the issue of addition, it's the principle of multiplication. Let me, let me share an example. You give one person a fishing rod. That person can go out and catch X many fish. You give another person a fishing rod. That person can go out and catch X many fish. Those two people separately can catch two X fish, correct? This is math, I know. You're going back to school. I'm sorry to remind you. Now, give those two people a net. Now, those two people can go out and they don't catch twice as many fish. They catch five times as many fish. That is the principle of synergy. That people, when they come together, can do more than they can just by the addition of the separate parts. And that's what happens in the body of Christ. I mean, God has given you a job to do. But if you are going to accomplish that job, you need other people around you, helping you. I mean, we're Mennonites. You know what a barn raising is, don't you? Barn raising, you got some guy, and he's looking out in his backyard, and he's scratching his head because he has to build himself a barn, and he knows it's going to take him 20 years to build this thing. And suddenly everybody and their dog shows up and in a couple of hours the barn zoop, is up. And the guy's looking up there and he's going, whoa, that was amazing. That, that's just the principle at work. That insurmountable tasks can be accomplished when everybody lends a hand and when everyone works together. Look at a snowflake. A snowflake is nothing individually. A little snowflake falls down from the sky. You put your hand out. The snowflake lands in your hand. It melts instantly. It's gone. What can a snowflake do? Well, you get enough snow together and it can stop traffic. You get enough snow together and it can shut down a major city. Individually, they may not be much, but when they get together they can become very, very powerful. And the same is true for us as Christians. Individually, we can accomplish as much as we can in a group with a common focus and a common theme. We need other people to walk with us. We need other people to work with us. We need, number three, others to watch out for us. Why? Because we all have blind spots. Everybody here in this room has a blind spot. That means you have an area of weakness that you don't even necessarily know about. But others do. 
Philippians 2.4 says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How many remember growing up and having uh, neighborhood watch signs and windows? I, I remember that when I was a kid. I mean, our, our street was a neighborhood watch street. All right. It was like every window had a neighborhood watch in it. And I can remember, we would go on vacation. We would say to the neighbors, you know, watch our stuff. And we knew that when we got back a couple weeks later, our stuff would be fine. Why? Because it's like every car that came down the street, you'd see all the blinds opening up. Oh, I don't know whose car that is. Why is that car in front of the Shane's house? I don't know. We better call the neighbors and we better do this. You know, nobody could, nobody could just like drive down our street without everybody knowing about it. Because everybody was watching each other's stuff. Remember block parent signs? Man, when I was a kid, I don't, do they still have block parent signs? I don't know. But I remember when I was a kid, every house on our street was a block parent. I mean, between the school and where I lived, I mean, I think every house was practically a block parent. I could stop at any house on the way home I wanted to, and I knew I would have milk and cookies waiting for me. Yeah, if I fell off my bike, I would have every parent within, you know, 100 meters running out there. What? Are you okay? Are you okay? Because we watched each other's kids. We watched each other's stuff. We watched each other's kids. Look out for each other. Now let me ask you the most important question. Who's watching your soul? Who's watching your soul? I mean, you have people watching your stuff. You go on vacation, you give someone the key to your house. But who's watching your heart? Who's watching your life? Who's there asking the tough questions? Hey, you read your Bible this week? How's your devotional life going? How's your prayer time with the Lord this week? How are you doing spiritually? Do you have anyone in your life that you are accountable to spiritually? Is there anyone in your life that said, you know what? I'm with you. I'm not going to let you get discouraged. I'm going to stick by you. I'm not going to let you drop out. I'm not going to let you get tired. I'm here for you. I'm supporting you. I'm encouraging you. No matter what happens, I'm here. Do you have someone like that? If I was up here, standing here, and I had like a booger on my cheek, I would hope somebody would say, Pastor Steve, wipe it off. If I'm up here and my fly is open, I would hope, please, I would hope someone would say, Pastor Steve, barn door's open. I mean, okay, take care of that, continue the message, all right? Instead of everyone just sitting there smiling, going, oh, isn't it a life message? Oh, Pastor, that's very nice. Oh, that's very nice, you know? I hope people would be real and honest. Are people being real and honest with you? Are you accountable to someone else in your life? When I was a kid in high school, I was a scuba diver. I went and got my diving license when I was 12 years old. I had a a, a scuba tank. I would go diving in the river. 
I always went diving with a friend of mine. I remember this one week, I really wanted to go diving, but my friend was on vacation, so I thought, oh, maybe I'll just go diving in the river alone. But I couldn't. I just couldn't. Because I remembered the number one rule of scuba diving. The number one rule, before they teach you anything else about you know, the bends or all this other kind of stuff, the number one rule is you never, ever dive alone. You never go into the water alone. There's just too many things that can happen to you. And that's good advice. So who's watching your back? Who's looking after your spiritual welfare? Are you accountable to someone? Every person in this room has probably an area in their life that they want to change. But until now, they've not been able to change that. Do you know that there are areas in our life that will never, ever change until we get with other people and are helped to change it through other people? That's how change occurs. Who's watching out for you? I need people to walk with, to work with, to watch out for me. Fourthly, I need people to wait and to weep with me. Every person in this room will have a crisis at some time in your life. Everyone. Everyone here. We all go through hard times. We all go through stuff. We all face tragedies. I'm sure... Is Judy Fair here this morning even? I didn't, I didn't see her coming in. But I mean, nobody goes to sleep one night thinking the next day you're going to wake up and your house is going to be gone. All your stuff is going to be destroyed. You just don't do that, right? But it happens. It's a reality. No woman should ever stand alone at the side of the grave of an unborn child. It should never, ever happen. No person should ever have to go through cancer alone. It shouldn't happen. The fact is, that is going to happen to some of us here. And the question is this, if you know that that's going to happen at some point in your life, why don't you prepare for it? By making sure that you have people around you that care for you. Only a fool would go through life totally unprepared for something that they knew was eventually going to happen to them. And we are God's safety net. Community is God's safety net. When a crisis happens, they respond. I think I've shared this before, but you know, I remember hearing a story of a group of ladies that used to meet from a church down in the States until one of the ladies in the group developed cancer. And because of her cancer, she had to go on chemotherapy, and so all of her hair fell out. She was really embarrassed, and she decided, you know what, I can't go to any, my small group anymore, because if I go to my small group, even though I have a wig on, they're just going to be looking at me, and my wig looks so fake, and I'm just going to be a distraction. I'm just going to, to turn attention away from the group. So, so I'm just going to decide to stay home from small group from now on. Well, the week later, all the ladies showed up at her house, knocked on the door, came walking in. And one by one, they all took off their wigs. They had all shaved their heads so that their friend wouldn't feel so alone and wouldn't feel out of place. That takes commitment. Ladies, would you shave your head for a friend? Is there anyone in your life that you would shave your head for because they had to endure cancer? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I heard a story again recently of a man who died in bed one night. 
That's not surprising. The surprising thing was that they took two years before they found his body. In the apartment complex, had no lawn to mow. He had paid his stuff automatically. He died. Two years later, they found his body by accident. We need people who will walk with us, who will work with us, who will watch out for us, who will wait and who will weep with us. And lastly, we need people who will witness with us. Soldiers always go out together, not alone. Let me ask you a question and we'll close. In the last year, how many people have you led personally to Jesus Christ? Last year, have you had the opportunity to sit down with someone and lead that person to Jesus Christ? You may respond to that question by saying, well, I, I just haven't had opportunity. I just, I just haven't had a chance to do that, or I haven't known how to do that. Or The greatest thing we as a church can show the world is love. The greatest thing that the world needs today is community. We know that from the cheer song. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Everyone's looking for community. Everyone's looking for a place they can be loved and where they can love other people unconditionally. I can guarantee you that if you will take up the challenge, if you will join a small group, that you will have opportunity in the next year to lead someone to Jesus Christ. Because these groups are not going to be just groups that just do their own thing. These are going to be groups that are intentional. Intentional about growing in the Lord. Intentional about discipleship. But also intentional about outreach. And winning people to Christ. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks more. If you want to know more on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a video series for the next six weeks. The video was by a guy by named Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California. We're going to be continuing to talk about community. As I close, I was going to show a video, but we're out of time. It's a video that was on YouTube. It was the most popular video on YouTube for a number of months last year. It's a video that an amateur uh, film guy, guy with a camera, was in Kruger National Park. And as he was filming, he was filming this little um, water buffalo and this water buffalo was being chased by lions. And the lions eventually caught the little water buffalo. And the little water buffalo fell into the water. And then a huge crocodile came out and started attacking that little water buffalo. You had the lions pulling at it. You had that crocodile trying to eat it. You had the little water buffalo pulled up onto the bank. The lions were on that thing. And the guy that was recording the video said, Well, that's too bad for the water buffalo. Without out of the corner of his eye, he saw something. And he, he turned the camera over. And a huge herd of water buffalo came in from the side. And that huge herd of water buffalo came around and surrounded that pack of lions. And the lions didn't know what to do. They, they kept looking up. And the water, the water buffalo, the baby, was sitting there. Everyone thought it was already gone. It was already dead. But then it stood up. And the water buffaloes, as one charged the lions, put their horns down, knocked the one lion about ten feet into the air. The lions scattered, and the little water buffalo went off with its parents. 
survived it. And you could have written that thing off. But there's power in the pack. There's strength in community. And together they were able to do something that they could not do individually. And a little life was saved. I mean, we're smarter than water buffalo, aren't we? I hope so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for community. We thank you, Father, that you've, we've called us to live in community one with another. And Father, I thank you that in this church, Lord, you have placed many wonderful families, people that are, love each other and, and respect each other. And, but Father, we want to go deeper. We want to move beyond just the bonds of who we were born to, to who we choose to walk through life with. And Father, we thank you for strong marriages here and for great relationships. And yet, Father, we recognize so often that we need even more than that. Father, we need people to walk with us who will care for us, who will challenge us, who will help us, Father, to achieve the mission and achieve the purpose that you've called us to. So, Father, for the next couple of weeks, I pray, Lord, that you would, as we look at your word, and as we look at these five different areas, Father, just give us insight. Help us, Father, to learn. And then help us, Father, to act on what we have learned. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we stand for closing?